UX Podcast Episode 65. This is UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm Jendra Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbo. Hello. And we're up to the episode that I've been waiting for all, all year, and it's only the second episode of this year. Well, not much <laughs> waiting then. <laughs> Some of you will remember that uh, our last show of the last year uh, ended in us promising to do a sex show with Natalie Nahai. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, oh, what have we done? Really, what have we done? Usually, we kind of think, try to think of a cliffhanger for the end of the show. I don't think we need one for this show. No, if we can last to the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> no, oh my so, God. so we're, we're going to talk sex. We're about to call her up in a few minutes. We're going to uh, talk sex and UX, mm. possibly. I think that's the theme, sort of. <laughs> I have no idea where this is no, going to land. This, this is going to us all kinds of trouble now, I think. <laughs> and... As another little thing now, today's episode, I'm not sure if they really know the connections between sex and, and, and their sponsorship, mm. but um, today's episode is sponsored by RevRise. RevRise is Google Analytics, but for web forms, and tells you where users are having difficulties or, drops out, or dropouts. So go to RevRise.com to find out more. Excellent. Hmm. And some of you might remember that we've actually interviewed uh, Jonas from RevRise before. We did in December, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, listen to that show. It's pretty yeah. good fun. And they, uh, if you pr- uh, subscribe to their newsletter, you get some really good optimization tips as well. You're getting a good sponsorship deal. I am, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> God damn me. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm, I'm all warmed up. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I love the way you're moving around in your chair. Oh, you know, you're not at all it's nervous. Like, I don't know. It's this whole thing about... You know, I've always been nervous about the whole sex thing. So. Yeah. And we probably we should talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call her up. Okay. Morning. How are you this morning? We're great. Thank you very much, Natalie. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm good too. My, um, that we've, we've, the builders have decided to come in next door and they're banging. I don't know if you can hear it. Oh, I actually heard that. I can hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, they always choose the worst times. Is that going to be, is that going to be, too too annoying. Well, what we could say is, we could say that it's your 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 neighbours are having a lie-in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are such north. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's north the topic. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's whatever the topic. Oh my god, James. <laughs> sex, sex, sex. Sex, sex, sex. Sex, sex, sex. So, so hang on. Let's let's talk about why are we interviewing Natalie about this topic? Yeah, why are you interviewing me about this topic? Mm, yeah, <laughs> this is actually quite. Uh, this is actually quite a good question. Now, what happened was um, that in episode sixty three of um, US podcast, which was where we recommended podcasts, um, we actually recommended Natalie's podcast, um, oh, the really? Good, the Bad, and the Dirty. Mm. Um, that was one of my <laughs> recommendations, um, and then. Well, that's not when we talked about sex. No. Later on in the show, um, Per recommended um, Sex Nerd Sandra yeah. and her podcast. But you didn't recommend Ooh. her because, I mean, you've never met her or 
anything. But you recommended a, recommended a podcast. Yes, I did. And just prior to that, I think that like the day before, I'd listened to the show you did um, with the Brain Lady. Uh, oh, she's that Exactly. And during that episode of your podcast, um, you said, um, oh, that you like sex. <laughs> what you said in the podcast. Did I say that? I said something about, oh, teledildonics. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's when you went to that yeah, story. that's what I was talking about. It's yeah. so funny. It's really interesting. Yeah. No, it was interesting too, but you actually gave that little soundbite and... And that's so why I repeated the soundbite to Per in that show. And that's and when we said, basically, Natalie also likes sex. Oh. <laughs> don't most people like yeah. sex? Like good sex? Well, of, course, of course they do. <laughs> but yeah. they, they, they don't normally shout it out in podcasts about mm. user experience. Mm. Oh, but they should. It's user experience, isn't it? <laughs> mm. So that's, that's, oh, that's then when we started talking to you and twi- tweeting to you about the fact that we basically promised to have a sex show with Natalie. A sex show. It's so yeah. kinky. You naughty boys. No, right, it's, okay. We're terrible. And we, yeah. We, <laughs> but, but, you, but you do share a lot of, of uh, relationship uh, articles uh, on Twitter, I know. Yeah, I do, actually. It's really funny. I was thinking, because for a while, I just was very careful about what I shared on Twitter. And I was, you know, the whole professional thing. And then it got to the point where I started becoming quite comfy. I think it was after about 2,000 followers. And I thought, well, I'll just start tweeting about things I like. And, right. and then I did. And then it ended up being mostly about general psychology, sex and relationships, and gender stuff, which I find, all of which I find really interesting. Yeah. And then as soon as I did that, I got loads more interactions, load, load more retweets, and no one was mean, and it was just, it worked out. So I was like, right, obviously something's going well. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to let everyone know, um, there's some builders moved into the apartment next door at Natalie's. <laughs> um, and so if you, wonder, so if you wonder what the elephant noise is, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's drilling. Yeah, but it's always a time when you course. don't need it as well because they've been quiet all the whole week. I mean, we're on Thursday now, oh, so fantastic. yeah, it's just. Oh. Yeah, they're builders. They will stop for a cup of tea in about ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's hoping. Eh? Hmm. But um, well, we're not just going to talk about sex today. I think that would be pushing our our boundaries of our I think program so. a little bit too much. Um, but but sex um, and UX, um, there's where we'd like to get into mm. the topic um, and sort of how can we use our knowledge of, of human behavior related to sex to to make better websites yeah and i think we um well what um what i know i've heard in uh, i think one of your broadcasts um natalie and elsewhere as well is, is the whole freud thing about kind of everything is everything is down to sex everything is connected to sex <laughs> well i think because, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. And I haven't read a huge amount around Freud because I'm not really particularly interested in psychotherapy, which no. I should probably get shot for given that I'm interested <laughs> in psychology. But um, th- there's an interesting idea that, that we're, you know, we're here because of sex. We're each of us, the you know, the, the product of at least one orgasm by one of our parents. So mm-hmm. sex is a really important part of life. But I think more importantly than sex for most of us is a sense of, human connectedness and belonging so mm, there's yeah. a social driver of which sex is a part and obviously it does other things as well you know excitement and reproduction but that the need to belong is a bigger motivator for many of us much of the time mm. and so I think that really has a, a massive part to play especially within UX because if you're creating an experience which becomes um, easy to use that's familiar that's Uh, possibly includes the endorsement of your peers so again using social proof or social validation depending on which principles you're using to get people through a particular user experience or a journey then that 
can be a great way to get them to enjoy and sort of, well, yes, to, to, to have a more fulfilling experience, really. Mm. The, um, I was reading about, um, well, how the, it's the old brain, I think you call it, isn't it? Um, <laughs> which is the, the, the bit, um, which is our kind of, the, the, the historical bit, which is all down to kind of hunting and sex the, and the survival. Yeah. 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 And how that's the thing that drives, the, well, most of our decisions. Yeah, so so in the book I talk about a metaphorical three-system brain. Now, the reason mm. it's metaphorical is because the brain is way too complex to reduce to such simplistic terms. However, talking about the brain in terms of three systems does provide a really useful way to think about the motivations behind behavior. So it's mm. actually a very useful model. So yes, yeah, so that the primal, which is kind of loosely to do with things like, like you mentioned, like, you know, sex and and hunger and uh, sleep and, um, you know, digestion and things that, that are responsible for survival. Um, that's one of the primary ways in which we make decisions and also the emotional system. Yeah. So there was some really interesting research that found that uh, patients who'd had lesions, that sort of damage to brain areas of the brain that were responsible for emotional pro- processing, yeah. were unable to act on really simple choices when they were presented with them. So if I said to you guys, okay, well, would you like, you know, a coffee or a cup of tea? You'd be able to decide pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it's not a very emotional decision, is it? However, the people who had problems with the emotional centers of the brain weren't able to act on their decisions. So it shows that even the ah, most okay. mundane of decisions, yeah. um, mm-hmm. when we act on them, the impulse to act comes from an emotional uh, process. And therefore, we can you know, extrapolate from that, that that any kind of action online is likely to involve an emotional incentive as well or an emotional component to the process. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so even though a lot of the time we think we've been really careful and rational and we're thinking <laughs> yeah. things through, we're making a we're making it's us that are making the decision. It's actually mm. not. It's well, emotional we it's and old brains that are that are taking over us and doing it for us. If you read, <laughs> if you read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, I think he, he comes into that a lot. It's, mm. You are not yeah. making rational decisions anymore. And I think that marketing, I mean, just the fact that uh, 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 the economist, the, the Nobel Prize in economy, is won by a psychologist is, is fantastic. Mm. That says something about the new era we're moving into. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really interesting is is what you, one thing that you sort of you let slip, slip of the tongue really that we all that we all do, and it belies our understanding about, I suppose, the the idea that we have volition or agency or that we're in charge. Mm. Sort of we we think of that as the conscious we. Um, so when you say you know it's not us, it's the primal and the emotional brain. Well, that's still us. It still makes up who exactly. you are. In fact, mm. it defines much of who we are. But we define we, when we talk about us or me or we or you. Often we talk about the conscious part of ourselves. And there's a, a study I read recently that said that some that estimated I don't know I can't remember how they did this, but they estimated that 0.0004% of the information that we process is processed at a conscious level. So if you think mm, about yeah. the remaining. 99 point what is that like 996 percent so mm. the, the most amount of stuff that we process is done unconsciously um then you realize that actually the we that we talk about is perhaps you know perhaps we have to think about a different definition of what that we is and yeah. most of it is yeah. apparently subconscious yeah. it's pretty scary i mean i read those numbers as well and it's it was something like we're, we're constantly receiving like millions of mm. input signals. Mm. It was millions of them. And that's when that, I think, not, not point, not whatever 
percent comes in. It's just those kind of handful mm. of things is what we we <laughs> receive as things that we're aware of. Right. Um, That's and, it. and then on top of that, we only do one thing at a time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it, it, a lot of it comes down to attention. So what we can consciously attend to at any given moment. So for instance, in the in the blog post with, sorry, the podcast with Susan Weinstein, one of the things I wanted to ask her about that she spoke about at a conference I saw, UX Brighton, um, was specifically about uh, peripheral use, well, images that are placed on websites that, that span the width of the page. So peripheral vision or use of images that... that use peripheral vision and what was really interesting is that we don't often attend consciously to that particular kind of information so if you did an eye tracking um, experiment with someone on a page chances are they wouldn't necessarily look at uh, the peripheral imagery but those peripheral images that you use nevertheless have an impact on how the person feels based on the kind of content that's within the image exactly so you know it's kind of it's all just a bit complex <laughs> yeah no, that, that's that's quite right i mean i've done eye tracking testing and and that's something you see all the time we, we're very when when the brain sends our eyes to look at something which is what we're measuring with eye tracking um mm. we we're hunting for keywords we're we're basically hunting for 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 the words that answer the question that we have when we go mm. to visit a web page um, and yes, the, the peripheral is of course taken in by the brain because something's got to decide where to send the eyes mm. So, mm-hmm. so yes, the, the feel of the entire website comes into play. Right. But so you, so you, what we're talking about now is really attraction. So how do we get the attraction between... Sometimes we'll, we've talked a lot about recently about websites having a personality. So what we're mm-hmm. trying to achieve here when we're talking about sex is really... So how do we get, get that chemistry between the person and the website? Yeah. And usually we talk about, like you started out, Natalie, with we're trying to create a relationship, a long-lasting relationship with the user. But in my experience, we usually go for one-night stands. Mm. Uh, we create these fantastic, attractive headlines that people want to click. You read an article and you leave. Yeah. And you don't really come back until maybe, you, again, you see an attractive headline and you go in there. And So how do we actually go about ha- having people stay and building that relationship and giving the website a personality? Because if, if that is what we're after, are we after one-night stands on the internet? You see, that's what I'm, mm. I'm kind of smiling away here. Yeah. I'm thinking about, well, you know, with the one-night stands, that's that kind of, you know, the buzz and the kind of the feeling <laughs> of seduction and, and the kind of all, the, mm. all those chemicals are flying around inside you because it's, you know, it's that <laughs> hit you get from a one-night stand. Mm. So it's, so it's, yeah. it's clearly Feel not like bad. Feeling like vitamins and adrenaline and dopamine and all that kind of good yeah, juicy stuff. Clearly not a bad thing to, to you know, visit just one store website. But is it good return on investment? <laughs> That's the big question. Well, I think it's the, the question is, well, the first question is, what's your goal? I mean, mm. if you've got a huge amount of traffic and you have a huge number of one-night stands, then you're talking an orgy, which is a <laughs> massive ROI. Yeah. <laughs> so Sequential that potentially yeah. is, you know, that yeah. potentially is mm. one, one optional goal. And mm. I think the other thing to sort of draw the analogy a little bit further is that, you know, what happens if you, you start off with a one-night stand, it somehow ends up being really good, and then you might have another one, you know, a couple of weeks later, and then mm. suddenly you realize that you're in some kind of a relationship right. yeah. where you're visiting more often. And you're getting you booty calls, booty calls from the website. Yeah. Yeah. You've, 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 you've invested you know, you've in the relationship with the website, mm. yeah. That's it. Um, and I think Upworthy is, is, that's how I ended up getting seduced by Upworthy. That's right. You know, yeah. these, these delicious promises mm. of, you know, and some of them are complete 
stonkers. You know? yeah. <laughs> Not everyone I stand is going to be a good one. Um, but then, you know, eventually you go back and you build up rapport and you build trust. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you realize that actually you quite like to commit to this website because it, it delivers most of the time. And they are absolutely awesome at writing headlines on Upworthy. Hmm. Oh, I think yes. they've redefined how you write headlines. They're really yeah. long. Yeah, and they, yeah, they completely broke the mold of that. Yeah. Right. Mm. I, haven't, I haven't looked so much at Upworthy, so I don't know. I'll have to check that out. Really? You yeah. haven't caught on? I don't think so, no. Um, but but, but this, is, this is fascinating because, uh, again, keeping the analogy about relationships um, and, and, and websites or web services going, um, you know, we have, you know, you have spice fade or you have, you know, you have kind of, it fades, the relationship fades after after a amount of time. Mm. So when you're using a service, mm. um, you know, you've used it for a couple of years, then, you know, we have to, we move into another phase of the relationship there. But yeah, and I would imagine that mine is even different. It's kind of probably even a shorter phase oh, of God, like, yeah, yeah. You know, the honeymoon period. <laughs> I imagine so. Then, so what? What does that say to us from a UX perspective? Mm. That if we if we if we say that it, yes, it's true that you will you will enter into another phase of the relationship with website mm. after X amount of time, um, where it's not giving you that buzz anymore. It can't give you the buzz anymore because mm. you've become so um, so so familiar with it and so used to its quirks behaviors what it delivers what it you know what it can do for you right how do you like my you time reporting system harvest yeah i was really into it in the beginning yeah. now i just, just use, it. use it yeah so how do you add <laughs> the spice back into the relationship <laughs> with your website well i think i mean i wonder if there's another question that precedes that which is is a long-term relationship going to be the best model of business for your website to begin with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and if it is then how do you keep that fresh and exciting and I imagine because each website has a you know in terms of its skin or the theme or the the design has a life cycle which is I would say probably about two years one to two years depending on your industry maybe longer if you're a little bit more staid as an industry I I normally say it tends to be around about three years in my experience at least for the bigger brands so you've got you've got a fairly long period but I think part of you know, if, if you change stuff up, we like novelty, and I think that's another way to kind of get things exciting, and also to keep things exciting by um, rewarding people uh, without telling them that they're going to get rewarded. So, mm-hmm. in psychological terms, it's called uh, sort of a variable ra- ratio reinforcement schedule, which sounds ridiculous, I know, but it's basically like slot machines. So, it's the idea that if you go to a slot machine you are sure that at some point the slot machine will pay out, but you don't know how long you have to play before you get the payout and you don't know how big the payout will be. Mm-hmm. So it's not a regular reinforcement. You don't get, you know, 10, 10 pence every time you pull the, uh, the one on bandit or whatever. You have to wait for an unexpected reward of undefined quantities. So you can also do that with your relationships with people online through your website. So if you've got someone who's subscribed or someone who visits and you say, well, you're the 138th visitor, we'd like to give you a free book, then because it's unpredictable, they get a reward and it's exciting and they're more incentivized to use the site. That's not going to work for all sites. That's not going to work for everyone, but it's certainly a very persuasive technique that you can use. Right. Mm. Yeah, an example there would supposed to be if you've got a subscription site, you can say, "Oh, you know, we we still love you. Here, have a free month." <laughs> yeah, yeah, Just exactly. Randomly yeah. throw that in at some point. You know, romance your users, <laughs> well, seduce yeah, them. Sort of, yeah, yeah. It, oh, another fascinating thing here is, I mean, I I bang on about how I, I don't like the the big website redesigns 
I mean, they're they're these three yearly or two yearly cycles. Mm. They're expensive. They take a mm. lot of effort because we're dealing with very complicated things, mm. especially when we've got if we've got deeply into mm. SEO and and conversion optimization and, mm. and usability. To to kind of rip that all out and stick a new one in every mm. three years is is in- incredibly challenging. Yeah. But then if we're saying that a, a refresh of that that kind is probably needed. To, to, to put some life back in certain relationships. Well, that's sort of like saying that your, your relationship with your wife is stagnated and you suggest, let's move to a new house and you, let's move to a new building. <laughs> Does is that, that work? Is that the best option, really? Yeah. But I've seen that happen oh, in, I have in, too. in real life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you build an extension or you re- exactly. redecorate a room because, yeah. you know, your marriage is failing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, but this is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. novelty, yeah. you know, to yeah. sort of, you know. And also seeing your partner in unfamiliar surroundings where that, that, um, that perception of unity of oneness that you've created like one being which is then familiar and, mm. and not particularly arousing because it's it's not mm. separate from you to see your partner in unfamiliar surroundings flirting with other people where suddenly there is that separation and, and you feel that sense of attraction mm. that can be a very powerful way to you know to get you excited again and, and attracted to that person again yeah, that's very it? true actually is one good way is actually Someone traveling, like <laughs> go, going away for a while and coming back, mm. uh, will, will put a spark in that relationship. Yeah, you've increased the amount of mm. you, you've you've entered a, you've ad, um, added a, a certain amount of or comfortable amount of uncertainty mm. and surprise. Mm. Yeah, it. there's a fantastic book about that while we're in relationships by Esther Perel, which is uh, Mating in Captivity, and it talks about all of these things, and it's absolutely fascinating. Okay. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So maybe I'm, I'm still thinking about this. How work and in the practical side of this, how would I, how do I deal with 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 UX and long term relationships? Um, <laughs> well, uh, there are some some suggestions about how, like we've been in, into now talking yeah. about how do we keep a relationship alive. You, but some some things are like reminisce about good times, remember what oh. the good times you've had and stuff like that. And yeah. that's hard to have have that on a website or a digital service or whatever you'd have to like know a lot more about your user and actually be very personal with them you oh. can't really automate that you need to have people behind the scenes actually talking to people i mean my favorite example is uh, klm yeah. uh, when they researched people's twitter accounts yeah. and found out what they liked and what they liked to oh, do yeah. and then they came to the gate with gifts Exactly, fitting gifts uh, based on what they actually their interests were. Yeah, uh, I mean that's wonderful. It I is know, wonderful. Stuff like that is but what really, really creeps some people out because you turn up at the gate and they give you kind of um, a box of chocolates that's exactly the brand and type of chocolates you like. And you're going to think, "Whoa, KLM, what are you doing with your spare time?" <laughs> um, but but yeah, absolutely, it's um, it's a surprise and it. it Really would. Well, I definitely oh, yeah. travel with them again, and I'd recommend them to my friends, which is mm. sort of what you're asking. And if nothing else, even the shock value is going to get the you know the buzz and the word of mouth out. You know, the PR for the three or four people that go, "Whoa, that's too much." Most people who hear that will be like, "No, but I would really like to get a box of chocolates at my favorite brand." Right. So it's kind of yeah. Well, uh, but maybe, I think you've, that, that's the other thing is that we forget about the social side that UX is you've got to take it within a wider context, which mm. is okay. Well, what's your what's your social strategy how are you actually Mm. building relationships with people and i think social media is such an important way to stay connected with people so um to the extent where i I know it's sort of not common but in the book i make sure i made sure on the front page i put my twitter handle so that if people get the book 
or you know if they're listening to your podcast or they buy a product if you've got it on the packaging it's a physical thing right. don't forget to put your twitter handle and say to people look i'd love to hear from you tweet to me and then you get pictures of people who said oh i've just received x y or z um and then suddenly you can say thank you personally and let me know what you think and then it's like oh they actually care yeah so you're not this faceless Exactly, not just a faceless person in the world. Mm. Um, but yeah, and this that's um, making me think it was all about um, just the whole memory thing you brought up there. Um, like, well, reminiscing and, and mm. you know, reminding someone about things that you've done so you kind of like bubbled back to the surface some good moment from before. Mm. That's, that's interesting. interesting about uh, blogs because what happens with blogs is that you start writing new articles and, and you have some really good items but they're in your history and people mm. usually don't find them. Mm. And the companies I've gone to and they've written some really good stuff in the past, they're afraid to surface that again mm. uh, for some reason because they feel like, well, that's old news. But mm. for a lot of people, it's not old news. It's just really, really good content. And you mm. should make more use of the content that you've had before. Mm. That mm. sort of connects with that, actually reminiscing sort of with your own stuff as well. And, and people would remember, yeah. oh, yeah, they're the guys who wrote that stuff. And I love that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, then at the same time, it'd be more difficult. Like if you you're a I don't know a retail site, online uh, retail site, and you go, oh, do you remember that pair of socks you bought? Mm. Oh, <laughs> they were excellent. Those socks. But then we're getting into storytelling, sort of. Then. Yeah. yeah, which I, yeah. which is really hot as always. It's yeah. been hot for the past five years, mm. but. <laughs> but There's a really and also nostalgia. There was a really interesting mm. um, advert by um, Internet Explorer. I. Well, and I, and I used that as an example in a couple of talks that I gave about the use of nostalgia in storytelling and in, in uh, videos specifically. Uh, and what was really interesting is that it got a really mi- mixed response from the audience. So while people were watching, it was like, remember remember me? We met in the 80s um, when there was, dot, or the 90s, whatever it was. Like in, It goes through and it shows you Tamagotchi pets and yo-yos and stuff from my childhood, really. Exactly. And you kind of, you watch this and it's beautifully done and you mm. get nostalgic and pretty much the whole audience mm. seemed to respond in that way. But mm. when you got to the end and then it says Internet Explorer, <laughs> there was a split. Some people said, well, that's the point. They're really stuck in the old ways, even mm. though it's, they say, you know, grown up, so have we. And then the others were saying, yeah, but they're saying that they've grown up, I would go with them. So it was really, really polarizing. Oh. So I think if you're using nostalgia and saying, you know, we've had this experience with our customers all this way back, if it's really far back, then you've got to be careful how you frame it so that it doesn't look too old and therefore put you at a disadvantage. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, just in that advert, was, was it obvious during, um, during that it was Internet Explorer or was it one of those kind of reveals? Where at the it end was a was, reveal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I can imagine that you'd feel cheated there. It's like someone pulling a mask off and revealing who they really are at the end. It's, yeah, but um, why would you feel cheated? Because if you're, if you, if you're seduced by the advert... Mm. And you're drawn into it, even nostalgic. You think this is oh, you really like that. But, but um, in in your history, you've condemned Internet Explorer to you know to being a bad thing. It's not something I don't want. I don't like it. But you've been seduced by this advert and been kind of really entertained by it and think it's excellent. Then there's the reveal. Ah, gotcha. It's your your arch enemy Internet Explorer that's (laughs) tricked you into thinking this was a fun advert. Oh yeah, that's interesting. So there's a bad taste in your mouth. Lots of emotion going on. Yeah, you've been tricked Mm -hmm. rather than um, seduced. So I wonder what a brand like that could do in those situations to try and rebrand. Maybe sort of you know cut. 
cut its ties from the past and do a completely new rebrand where they launch as a different under a different name or something mm. like that. yeah oh, I mean, first, first and foremost they've they've got to fix the fundamental problem right they have to be a good product <laughs> first yeah. I mean, you fix the content before you attract people yeah so i mean and so in that <laughs> sense the internet explorer is doing a really good job now because the newest versions of Internet explorer mm. are what you what we in the trade call proper browsers mm. and that's something we've never <laughs> s- and that's something we've never said before right. about and them. they should be making fun of internet explorer 6 yeah, if they did that, I God, would respect yeah. them. Well, and seven, <laughs> yeah. and probably and eight. eight as well. <laughs> Borderline nine. <laughs> no, but exactly. That's what they yeah. need to do is fix their product so you've got something good mm. to sell, mm. um, and then yeah, I reckon hop back and make some fun of yourself. Be nostalgic mm. in a comical way about how bad you were before. Mm. Yeah, don't take yourself too lightly. Yeah. Uh, too, too seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. say you're sorry. Yeah, yeah. that's also yeah. the rela- relationship thing. Mm. Say you're sorry. Exactly, and we we see this especially in bigger brands that they're they're so scared of the past mm. and how they used to be mm. um, and things they've done in the past. Where you know you can't erase it; it's it's there. Mm. Yeah, it's written in the history books. And now the internet, we've we've usually got you know it's pretty easy to drag things back up again and um, and show them off. Right, yeah. but I, I love that example actually about nostalgia because I mean, looking at Facebook, if people I don't know sharing. A, picture of a old cassette tape and people say uh, like this if you know what this is stuff like that mm. <laughs> all, those, pi- those pictures get thousands of likes they do yeah, yeah child of the yeah. 80s yeah. so it is, yeah. find the stuff that defines the person and that's really too easy to identify with and you feel closer to that group of people well then you, yeah, you're, you're hunting for tribes there aren't you yep you're, you're finding a, a group that mm. yeah relates to what mm. you've got to say or the story you've got to tell um, and pressing some of that so, buttons. that would be yeah. your attraction in, on a date would you want to like to come up and look at my stamp collection yeah. and if, if not then <laughs> yeah. you'll you probably can, miss the mark you can, you can tell you've been in a relationship for a long time <laughs> and, and when you're talking about stamp collections yeah I'm going to ask Susie next time I see her it's like how did you like her stamp collection <laughs> it sounds like some weird euphemism for god knows what would you like to check out my stamp collection? Mm. Why, yes, thank you. <laughs> it's like some secret well, weird hand. Well, you know, if they want to, then you you got one foot in the door. Well, yeah, you, that's yeah. yeah, you've you've hit the jackpot. If, you, if if you're into that kind of thing, <laughs> and they say yes, that's how you screen your potential mates, mm. whether well, yeah. or not they come back to that right, exactly. with you. If you really <laughs> <laughs> that's relationship material. Wow. Yeah, that is. That's a, it's a keeper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> well, you could talk talk about your Star Trek uniforms, James. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love Star Trek. Every time I have a podcast, See, that podcast. would work. Oh. I, I, I actually, I just know people who are. See, now this is a bad excuse. I know people who have Star Trek uniforms. I don't have any of myself. I think that's sexy. The Star Trek uniforms. They're I know you've got the thing about Klingons, haven't you, Natalie? Say what? You've got the thing about Klingons, haven't you? No, Vulcans. The Vulcans. Oh, oh right. I remembered it was Swan Alien. Yeah, I had a chat with Matt Wallet about that, and then most recently, who did I have a chat? Oh yeah, Jabez Lebret, who's going to be in a podcast coming up, um, who's also wonderful, who I also met in Seattle. Um, yeah, Vulcans. <laughs> it's the pointy ears. I have an elf thing. I don't. It's like a pointy ear fetish, and then also like they're really serene, but underneath it is like this raging torment of emotions. I don't know. I think it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's for some reason it's very attractive to me. <laughs> I, 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 I can see what you mean with the, the whole kind of logic. The, the pure logic surface there that they they admit, um, mm. but yet you know full well that it's it's learned control over <laughs> their yeah, entire, the from birth. <laughs> they're, they're told and taught how to keep all their emotions inside. I know it's fascinating. Yeah. Mm. Are you right? No. We, could, we could actually talk for hours about Star Trek. The Star Trek universe is actually um, <laughs> a, a fantastic thing. 
to I mean there's so many there's so many um themes and and what have you that are explored in Star Trek. But do, Vul- do Vulcans have sex? Yeah, of course yeah, they have sex. They do. How do they procreate otherwise? They don't think hatch in pods. I don't know. <laughs> They, but they, don't have, they don't have fun sex, though, I don't see. I'm sure they have amazingly wild sex. It's like a whole hidden life uh, of Vulcan. We're just going to have to interview a Vulcan to ask yeah. them how their sex life is. Yeah, we definitely should. We definitely should. <laughs> but how do you... I mean, now, continuing the thing about the more abstract stuff here, if you've got a, if you've got a service that is, is, is really, really dull and boring... I mean, an example here is, um, would be um, like a government website to do with mm-hmm. benefits... Right. right. How do we? How do we? Um, you know, seduce people or, or press the kind of the, the right buttons there in that kind of relationship. This is as well, dry as you can get now. Yeah, I mean, I think. Okay, so sometimes um, <laughs> I don't know how naughty we can be on this talk, seeing as we're talking. Sex Go for it. Go for it. You All just right, be as so bad as you like. We'll beep you if you're really bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Brilliant. Okay. So if I give you an example, so. In the UK, if I want to pay tax return or I want to look out, you know, figure something out about my VAT or whatever, the UK, British UK government website is really difficult. So they make it really hard to get into bed with them. It's really, really tricky. So sometimes you don't want to go through all the foreplay. You just want to get right to it. And I think government websites are notoriously bad for making it seriously difficult for you to get anywhere that you want to get to. Mm. So I think sometimes you just got to make it easy for people, like make it easy for them to find what they want, even just putting a search, the search bar in so you can you know search for the thing if all else fails i think that would be the first thing that i would say about government websites is make it easy to use and once you've done that then you can start worrying about the rest but mm. if you can't find what you're looking for there's no way you're going to be able to get to your goal <laughs> yeah i just had an epiphany i mean what you're saying then is that if you're a commercial website you're actually trying to attract users to make them want to have sex with you but when you're a government website, you want to have sex with the government website because there is no other option. <laughs> so, you, so, so you have to make it easy. Yeah, you've already paid. You, you just want exactly. your goods now. Yeah. There's no option. Yeah, although, so I mean, I'm so sure get out of my way. I don't want the foreplay. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, let's get this over with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You only love me when you're drunk. You know what? That is a good approach. Like, could someone who is drunk use this website and find what they're looking for? That Ooh, should be yes. your MO for a government website. I like this. Cause I've, so. I've seen tests like that on YouTube, I think. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's, an, yeah. Excellent, um, there's an excellent YouTube clip um, of um, a woman that um, was plied with tequila. She was, mm. she was given loads of free tequila to drink and then right. set loose with Windows 8. <laughs> and it's, it's hilarious video because she just she just rips pieces out of Windows 8 and it's just <laughs> can kinda, you send us the link for that I, I will I'll oh, put it in the show notes yeah. um, I think we've mentioned it before it's, it's really it's really it's done by a usability firm I think in the US um, and it's, it's really interesting really fun mm. they've done a, I think they've done a little series now of, of um, drunk fil- testing films right um, but, but this is exactly right this whole thing about goals we you know when we when we reach our goal that's when we get our hit Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, it might, it's probably like we said, just that simple that if you're aware of what users want to do with your website, what is their question that they've got when they land on your site? If you can help them answer it and, and help them complete what they need to do or want to do, have decided to do, mm. then they're going to get that buzz anyway, even yeah. if you're not very sexy. Yeah, because right. they've succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's it. We've sold everything. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> UX is all about sex. Mm. 
But s- since you're that. sort of a specialist uh, on gender and culturability, uh, Natalie, can we attract both sexes with the same language? And, and what happens in different cultures? Good question. Uh, okay, so one of the interesting things with culture is um, that Git Hofstad, who's a, a psychologist who spent 40 years looking at cultural dimensions, which is basically like personality traits but for countries, mm-hmm. found that you, get, you tend to get the largest gender differences in a highly individualistic and what he calls masculine cultures. So individualistic societies are those in which it's kind of me, not we. So we're out for ourselves. We want to sort of self-actualize. We have looser Um, societal structures, we tend to value friends over family. I mean, I'm sort of painting a very extreme example, Mm. but that's an individualistic society. A masculine society would be one in which the gender roles are very distinct. So, for instance, traditionally, women were in the home, they looked after the babies, they cooked, they were homemakers. Men went out and were the financial uh, supporters of the family, for instance. So in societies and cultures that are highly individualistic and more masculine, you tend to find larger gender differences. Um, and this does tend to translate online. So for instance, um, some research has found that women, and I think this is in the UK, which is highly, it's either the UK or the US, but both the UK and the US score highly for individualism and they're, they're more masculine. Uh, they found that women subconsciously prefer websites that have been designed by other women which gives you a sense that from that you could infer that um, women design in a different way Mm -hmm. to men and when you consider that men typically make up the majority of web designers um, it might you know there's definitely a case to say well maybe you should have a female designer look at this if 50% of your audience or all of your audience is female right that's Um, that's an interesting point though because yes mm -hmm. maybe web designers um, are often men but UX designers, on the other hand, are often women, right? And it's interesting that that's got the experience mm. part in it as well. Yes. But I wonder if there's a relational element that attracts mm. women perhaps more. Mm. Yeah. Um, also, the other thing that's interesting is that there are different behaviours that men and women exhibit online. So there's another piece of research that I cite in the book, which is about uh, research behaviours. So men tend to research, go to research sites a lot more than women. And I know this from experience with my dad, with my fiance, and with, with you know, yeah. anecdotally, I've, I've seen this in action. But what's interesting is that some research found that boys as young as the age of seven exhibit these same preferences. Mm. Um, and so it kind of makes you think, well, have they had enough time to learn this behavior? Or is it something that's perhaps a little bit more innate? So nature versus nurture. Yeah, I've got, um, I've got um, a daughter and a son. So I've, mm. I've had an experiment running now for seven and a half years uh, <laughs> with, with, with one of each gender. And um, it's a very small sample set. I understand this. And I have no intention of increasing my sample size. But um, th- I can say that um, I, was, I, I actually thought that a lot of things were, were learned behaviour. When, yeah. um, you know, when, when, when my daughter's the eldest. And I thought, oh, it's learned behaviour, a lot of this kind of gender stuff. Mm. Then my son came along two years later. Yeah. And... Uh, it's an eye opener. Then you realise that you know when he's like four months old and starts wheeling that car along along the ground, going <laughs> brum brum brum. You know with, before he even really knows what a car is, and the same car we've yeah. had since mm. before my daughter was born. You yeah. start to, you start to get ideas about realizations that mm. there is a whole lot of stuff going on at a level which is is not learned. Mm. No, which is primal. Yeah, primal. And I think with that sort of thing, I mean, also, it's interesting to look at it from, I mean, there may, be, may well be a strong biological basis, but then if there is, then for those of us who don't conform to those stereotypes, maybe there's a neurochemical element. So, for instance, mm. um, according that there's uh, some fantastic work that was done by the biological anthropologist Helen Fisher, 
And she wrote a book called Why Him, Why Her, which is about the neurochemical basis for attraction and relationship styles. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is that um, sort of I took the test and I ended up being like a minority of women who show for high dopamine levels and testosterone levels, which is typically associated with masculine traits. Um, And so you end up, you know, also as a kid, I kind of exhibited gender different gender behaviors so like things like wanting to do DIY with my dad or do shooting or to build Mm. stuff but also to maybe I had like one doll that I played with but I also did sewing and like weird you know pan gender uh, behaviors basically and so with your with your kids it may be that they are sort of gender typical and that the girl expresses more stereotypically feminine behaviors and the boy stereotypically more masculine behaviors but again, that also depends on their biological makeup and how that interacts with the culture in which exactly, they're raised exactly, and whether yeah. that behavior is then reinforced, exactly. which often we do at a you know, subconscious oh, level. We, we, we well, do it all the time. It can be reinforced just by allow, allowing them to do something or the expression yeah. on your face while they're doing it. So. Yeah. It's so easy to reinforce mm. um, certain mm. gender um, stereotypes that we've, we, we ourselves mm. are not even aware of. Mm. Yeah, and most of the time we're not. Again, going back to that, sort of the most of the behaviours that we exhibit, are, you know, most of them subconsciously, um, that it's very difficult not to express the preferences of our culture and society in ways that we don't even uh, notice or that we're not even aware of. Mm. Yeah, and that's true even when um, when designing, well, designing web services or websites. Like you, mm. you, an awful lot of things you do um, without realising it. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, um, mm, that are culturally based. Um, yeah, absolutely. So the conclusion there is basically have have both genders look at the website, and so in your sample of usability testing as well, of course, gender will play a role, mm. e- even if you don't want it to <laughs> to be that way. <laughs> and I think it sort of depends on mm. on how far you want. You know, how far does the rabbit hole go? You, you could you can start with. I mean, obviously, if you've got a limited amount of budget and time, then start with your target group the people who are already your your favorite customers and get them to use it and see if there are differences based on certain um clusters so by gender differences by personality etc but then you could also look once you've looked at gender and personality you could look at culture you could look at um any number of individual differences that you know depends on how granular you want to go really i think we're actually saying to to answer your question pair that you Mm. put a little while ago about um, well, what what gender is a website basically? Mm. Um, it, it sounds like we're saying you can actually make a mixed gender persona, right? So, are boys more attracted to boys' websites or made by boys' websites? Mm. That's interesting as well. Or is this more of a bisexual thing? Well, you can well you include elements. I think yeah. you'd be able to include elements in your design that appeals to certain aspects mm. of both genders. So you you maybe have something that's not that's not what you would consider to be. Um, feminine and not mm. it's considered masculine but uh, from certain angles mm. it possibly appeals more to oh, yeah. masculine and feminine and of course it's always easy to generalize like we're doing now and, yes. and what you want to do is be aware that there can be a difference there but you always have to test of course yeah. Yeah. and interview and do ethnographic studies mm. Hopefully, mm. and hope you don't get into an argument here. Mm. I mean, here in Sweden, the the the, um, the, oh, the gender discussions can be very oh yeah um, <laughs> heated, political, um, awkward. Uh, which is really interesting because Sweden ranks very highly for a feminine uh, culture, in which gender roles are a lot more fluid. Mm. Which is possibly why there's so much debate around them because there yeah. is a room to have that conversation. There is, yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, mm. And there's also the the um, perceived. Um, perceived culture that we are 
equal mm. and that we're expected to be equal so mm. so when you when you when something bubbles up that's um that's not fitting into that perceived perception of our culture like, you know that's mm. it's you know, male or female or whatever yeah. then there's a discussion around it because this people is not the way. there's a reaction yeah it's yeah. mostly nowadays around the conferences uh, well that's how we we witness it basically mm. if, if there's too many well there's a, too many male speakers basically yeah. oh interesting mm. then there's quite often a backlash yeah, yeah. It's funny because you actually get the backlash. Most of the mm. most of the conferences that I go to, I'll, I'll often just be the only female talking at, yeah, you know, right. at all. And I, and I think there are again, I guess, because I've met a lot of women who are really, really smart who do fantastic things. But when you ask a lot of women, you know, and my friends, come on, let's go to this conference. Often they won't want to. They won't want to get up and speak. Um, and I wonder if that's because you know, culturally they're taught to be good and to conform and not to put themselves out there and not to take risks in the same way that boys perhaps are. Or if that's because there genuinely isn't that desire to get up and speak, in which case no amount of positive uh, discrimination is going to make a difference. And I think that's only useful in certain situations anyway, to begin with. Um, It's a tricky, it's a very thorny, tricky subject. It is. Yeah. Uh, Although we did actually, we've actually decided that we're going to try and interview a few more ladies on our podcast mm. it's, um, I think it's always a good thing oh, well, it's, it's, it's <laughs> more that we just realised that we, we, we haven't talked to actually very many no. and it well, wasn't there deliberate there amazing it, women out there oh absolutely oh, yeah. I mean, it's not like <laughs> we've been deliberately avoiding them uh, we just suddenly suddenly dawned on us that we'd only had a handful yeah. of female guests and maybe uh, it's easier yeah. just for us to approach men I don't know I have no yeah, idea. I mean, you start to analyze no and think, well, yeah. why? Like, suddenly yeah. you realize that, that this is the case. And, like, and I realized this with the, the podcast. I'd done like five and it had all been men. And I was like, right, I'm going to go and have, have to hunt for some women. Right. And it got to the point where I'd hunted for two or three. And then I got those two or three. And then they were recommending these amazing other women that I'd not heard of. Ah. And now I've got loads of women. And it's a lot more gender equal. Mm. But um, yeah, it, it's a weird starting point, isn't it? Mm. Okay, Natalie. So, who? Um, so, what's the, the next uh, women, woman that should we, we should interview on your podcast? Uh, UX. Well, I think the one that I would recommend, there's two women that I would recommend who are absolutely amazing that look at decision making, which and and yeah, that kind of thing, which mm-hmm. I think is fascinating, mm-hmm. which for UX is really important, especially for the subconscious motivators. So Norina Hertz at Norina.com. She's brilliant. Um, she's fantastic speaker. She's spoken at TED and she you know, has written books and stuff. And also Maria Konikova, who's also uh, written books and, and is a very wonderful speaker. I think those two women would be fantastic to invite onto your onto your uh, podcast. Excellent tips. Nice. You've said her yeah. name wonderfully well. Yeah. You, uh, she's got a beautiful name. It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. not going to say it that easy. I'm not going to try. Not just now. Because <laughs> I might be pronouncing it completely wrongly, which is very polite. So she didn't. Uh, she didn't. Pull but you me said it so it. nicely, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. Well. I think we're going to have to wrap it up. I think so as well. Right. I think we managed to keep it pretty clean, actually. We did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and relevant. Uh, yeah. Mm. Well, for a, for a Thursday morning, getting off talking about, you know, getting off to start talking about sex, I think it's a lovely way to start the day. Well, we <laughs> haven't even had any wine. I know. I haven't even had any coffee. <laughs> oh, my word. Oh, sorry. sorry this is me up. I've <laughs> had three cups of coffee already. <laughs> you have. I've had one cup of tea. So. Oh, um, but the builders did have a cup of tea. Do you notice that? They did stop they after did. 10 they minutes for their cup of tea. Oh, that's I'm true. So yeah. That's what you said they would stop. Yeah, stop. Let me see. yeah you're right. Mm-hmm. That's how English Very builders work. You. <laughs> he says, making a gross <laughs> generalization. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, you see, you know what they say about yeah. stereotypes? They have a grain mm. of truth in them most. Yep, of them. they come from somewhere. Mm. Yeah, they come from somewhere. <laughs> Okay, Natalie, thank you very, very much for joining us yeah. again on um, US Podcast. Thanks and at this time, us. we got to talk to you for more than 10 minutes, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> oh, 
yeah, wicked. Well, and I've got to have you guys on mine as well, so we'll do a swap. Awesome. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Thanks so much again, and uh, we'll talk to you on social media, I guess. Sounds great. Yeah. And let us know when you're in Sweden. Oh, I will. Yeah. I certainly shall. That'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> bye bye for now. All right, have a great day. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, Natalie. Yep. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> All right then. That was, that was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it's um, it, it's it's great fun talking to Natalie. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've said more than once that she's she's a very clever lady. Yeah, very she's so lady. smart, and she knows how to put things in context. Yeah. And well, compared to me, who's got a like northern English accent, and Natalie's got a lovely, clear, crisp British accent. So it always sounds. I think it always sounds kind of very true. Um, it, it, it always, it's easy to listen to explanations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when Natalie says them, it's just English is easier than Swedish. I would, well, especially if you from, don't from, understand from, Swedish. I know, but from my experience, <laughs> it's so so interesting. The, the times I've given talks in English. Mm-hmm. I'm so much more confident and it feels so much better than when I'm giving talks in Swedish, even though there should be, no, I mean, I'm more adept in Swedish, basically. Hmm. Uh, but English just makes it, the audience feel more at ease. I don't know. It, it seems like they get yeah. more respect from me when I speak English. Hmm. Interesting. A whole, another a different psychological yeah. trail for us to investigate. But I think, I think we did pretty well at, um, at covering sex and UX. Yes, we did. Um, without being too dirty. I'm pretty surprised. <laughs> I'm actually a little bit surprised. I was a bit worried going into this that we would get into all kinds of weird um, positions. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> what? Oh, I did. You actually way. said something during the show and I was... Uh, Something about bang. I like to bang on about. No, I didn't. I, did I? I, yes, you did. No. And I had a hard time keeping a straight face, but I did. You should have just laughed. Mm. Oh. Well, anyway, yeah. um, thanks to RevRise for sponsoring today's show. And you can check out their formal analytics tool at RevRise.com. Don't forget to visit UXpodcast.com um, for the links and um, resources we've mentioned in this, sh- in this um, show. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've enjoyed this um, podcast, then please let your friends and colleagues know about us. You can pr- find us pretty much everywhere as UX Podcast. Oh, and I know the telephone number now. You do? Okay. Yep. Read it out. You can ring us and leave a message on um, plus one for the states, mm-hmm. um, 646 783 1050. Cool. And hey, why don't you just be the first person who does that? That's pretty cool. God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ring now. Yeah. So, and let us know what you thought of the show. Yeah. And of course, there we're UX podcast on Skype as well if you just want to call them via Skype. Yeah. So, thanks very much for listening. Yeah. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.